Hey there, it's Melissa Brunetti, and welcome to the Mind Your Own Karma podcast. Hey there, Karma crew. Glad you are here today. I have something new and exciting for you. This is a collaboration that has been in the works for about six months with Fireside Adoptees. You know, I talk about them quite a bit on the podcast. They are an adoptee only group, but have recently expanded to another group on Facebook that is anyone in the constellation can come on and be a member on that page. And for a while, I've been wanting to do a collaboration of different people in the adoption constellation to come on and kind of do a roundtable of different ideas and different obstacles that we all come up against and just kind of to bring it all together, have birth mothers and adoptees and adoptive parents all on the same panel. And this time we did a panel, but it was all adoptees for the first time because we kind of just wanted to see how it was going to go and what the flow was going to be and just kind of to feel it out. So you are getting in on the maiden voyage of what we are calling Constellation Conversations. So this is kind of a sneak peek because it has not been aired on Fireside Adoptees yet on their Facebook page. So you guys are getting the sneak peek of it for the first time. I'm hoping to bring this format to you about once a month. I would appreciate anyone that wants to give me some feedback on it, whether you are enjoying it, what you think should be different. It's a new thing and I just want to get all sides so that we can educate everyone about adoption. It's not just adoptees that are hurting. It's struggling adoptive parents. It's trauma to the birth mother. There's just so much that we need to educate the world with. And I want to bring all of that to you and the world. Like I said, this Constellation Conversation Roundtable is all adoptees. We are talking about our birth mothers and what our relationship was like and is like today and how that has shaped us. So I hope you enjoy it. And let me know what you think. Without further ado, here is the first episode of Constellation Conversation on Mind Your Own Karma. Welcome to Constellation Conversation, where our goal is to support the adoption spectrum by educating the world and sharing our adoption experiences. We are not licensed therapists. This is a peer discussion where we will talk about our adoption experiences in hopes to make others on the same journey feel supported. Today, I have four guests on the panel, and the topic we're discussing is birth mothers and how our relationships or non-relationships with them have affected and shaped us. So welcome to the show, everybody. So let's start with introductions. I'm Melissa, and I'm an, an adoptee. I'm the host of the Mind Your Own Karma, the Adoption Chronicles podcast, and the curator of Constellation Conversation. I'm on the leadership team of Fireside Adoptees on Facebook, where I want to help and give hope to other adoptees that are navigating their journey. So let's get started and get to know the panel a little bit. And Amanda, do you want to start? Sure. Thank you, Melissa. Um, hi, my name is Amanda. I am the founder of Fireside Adoptees. We're super excited to be working with Melissa and the Fireside Adoptees Constellation and doing the Constellation Conversations. We hope, um, we really hope this will be edifying and educational and fun, right? This world is a hard place to be in, so why not have some fun while we're doing it? Um, super excited to do this, and I look forward to getting, know, to getting to know the panel members better and maybe learning more about myself in the process. Thank you. Awesome. How about you, Greg? Hi, I'm Greg Gentry. I'm a domestic adoptee. Also at Fireside as part of the leadership team there, and very much looking forward to the conversation as well. I'm familiar with all the faces and looking forward to the interaction. All right, let's go with Rick next. Hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Rick Feltner. Uh, I am a domestic adoptee as well, and uh, I have a page called uh, The Relinquished Genius, uh, where we deal with 
adoption topics as well. Uh, a member of Fireside Adoptees, not on the leadership team. Um, so it's great to meet everybody this morning um, and looking forward to the conversation as well. And last but not least, the beautiful Donna. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Hello. Um, so I'm Donna, Donna Marie, and I'm an adoptee. And I am um, also a member of Fireside Adoptees. Very, very pleased to be here. Um, I have, uh, I'm an author of a chapter that was published last year um, before coming out of the fog. And I am in the process of writing another book, which is from a completely different perspective. Um, and I'm also a trauma release coach. And I'm hoping in the future that I'll be uh, putting the word adoption in front of that um, due to what I'm learning and going through myself now. So that's me. All right. So now that we've gotten to know everyone a little bit, let's take a few minutes to talk about your birth mothers and the relationships or the non-relationships that you have with them. So Amanda, do you want to start again? Yes, sure. Um, so I am a transracial international adoptee, uh, adopted from Mexico. I have not been in contact with any of my biological family. Uh, a lot of people who are adopted internationally, it is very hard for us to um, make that contact just due to uh in some countries, it's just simply not a priority or even feasible or even available to do um, ancestry, my heritage, uh, 23andMe, any, any of those DNA um, sites that allow us to do that. Uh, so it, it can be more difficult. So I have not been in contact. I was in contact with the distant cousin, but that it didn't, hasn't really manifested in anything as far as information wise so um yeah as an adoptee it's it's kind of hard as far as like not being able to be in contact with biological family but at the same time I'm at the point in my life where I have a three-year-old so I'm not I'm not necessarily um going full force trying to find that information and maybe I'll regret that but I also have to put my my family now on the forefront. Um, so it's a, it's a mixed bag of emotions, right? So on one, on one side, I have to make peace that I'm not going full tilt at it because I'm putting my, my child, my three-year-old ahead and, and I'm, I'm happy with that. But I do think it is, it's something I've, I've just recently really started to think about. It's interesting because it, also as a transracial adoptee, it's for me, at least I can only speak for myself. It can be hard to um, even see that as feasible because you have a language barrier, a culture barrier. You have all these barriers, especially when you're young, they seem insurmountable. So I think for the most part, I just mentally just put a stop to it, a freeze. Mm -hmm. So I really even fantasize or think about what my family could have been. I just simply, I, it, I, in that sense, I kind of found, followed the narrative of a good adoptee. Like my family is my family and that's as far as it went. So right. yeah. And for the first time real quickly, for the first time this year on my birthday, I actually really cognitively like very presently thought, Oh wow. I was not with my adoptive family at this age, you know, because mm. uh, I was 18 months. So it was the first time it really came up that I was super aware of that thought versus being somewhere in the back of your head. So that was very interesting for me. So question for you, were you adopted as a baby, like right away or? No, I was actually adopted at, well, the adoption process started at 18 months. Okay. I so, thought that's what you said. Okay. Yeah. So there was some time in the orphanage and I don't, I don't really remember that as, as, as clear cut memories. It's more like I remember kind of vague figures passing by and picking me up and but nothing really sometimes it feels like a dream like was that really am I really remembering reality but I think I was <laughs> so you weren't with your birth mother for any extended period of time I, I don't the paperwork is inconclusive it doesn't it just really says about my adoptive family on the paperwork I do have okay. so I don't think so but maybe okay <laughs> how about you Greg so I, I uh, entered into reunion with my biological mother late in 2006 and kind of went into it really, really fast. 
she was very surprised to hear from me, of course. Um, I had discovered her through a, a private investigator. And we started out with, I guess, what everybody calls these Hallmark-style reunions. So I met her in person finally in, in the last part of 2007. And I still remember that connection very strongly, what it was like to see her at the airport for the first time. Uh, we'd exchanged hundreds of emails by that point. And everything was seemed very positive. And the reunion in person was very positive for, for a time. And cracks started to appear in it, unfortunately, in terms of both of us having big psychological and emotional adjustments and overwhelm from being in, in such a such a strong scenario that, that many people never go through in their lives, of course, in the, in the general population. And over the years, we proceeded to go in and out of the reunion where we would fall out of it with big displays of, of pain and anger at each other. Uh, eventually it, it kind of went off the rails towards the end of last year. And I haven't heard from her since October of, of 2021 when I was preparing to relocate with my family. <clears throat> and at this point, I, I don't know what the future holds for that. I can tell you I'm still in contact with people on her side of the family, like my half brother and half sister, and also her husband. So people that yeah. are in proximity with her. So I, I know she knows I'm talking to them. I think it's been described as something she's kind of irritated at and about. I'm a little upset that she wouldn't reach out to me because each of the times we've fallen out of reunion, I've been the person that had to go back and make it happen again. What I've described as chasing. Um, I, I see up close and firsthand that the, the trauma she experienced unfortunately went on to my half brother and sister in terms of they've talked about, wow, there's something going on with her and we don't really understand what it is. And I thought, I, I think I do understand at least largely what might be going on with her. So <clears throat> it's been a complicated situation for sure. Uh, I would like if it can be healed for, for it to happen for some restoration of it. And I, I think about it a lot when I was, when it first fell apart last year, I was just mad and didn't want to think about it and thought, that's it. Fine. We're done. And then I started to soften. I sent her a text message on her birthday earlier this year and didn't get a response. But, um, I feel like eventually I'm going to reach out again. And that kind of bothers me too, because like I said, right. it's this chasing thing. And I feel like I do that with people. I do that in all, with all kinds of relationships in my like life. A lot of us do. <laughs> yeah. A lot of us so that's do. That's kind of what's going on there. Okay. Thanks for sharing. How about you, Rick? Yeah. So um, my relationship with my uh, biological mother is very interesting. Um, I've been in reunion with my biological mother for uh, 30 years. Um, I met her when I was 16 years old. Uh, my mother is um, mentally ill. She's uh, paranoid schizophrenic. Um, she has been uh, in mental facilities um, pretty much since uh, my relinquishment. Um, and so uh, meeting her, yeah, it, basically yeah, I've gone through several emotions throughout the last 30 years with our relationship. Uh, meeting her, uh, it was very much a shock to the system. It was something I always wanted. Um, it was, you know, uh, something I always looked forward to, but my idealized version of reunion obviously couldn't take place with my mother being mentally ill. Um, so uh, my first meeting with her, um, she refused to believe it was me. Um, and she um, thought I was my cousin, uh, her sister's son. Um, and uh, when she finally realized it was me, uh, she had a very emotional moment. And she said, they told me I would never see my little boy again. Uh, and so obviously that, uh, that hit me pretty hard. Uh, my situation, um, I was actually raised with my biological family for the first couple of years of my life, um, then went into the foster care system. 
um, uh, my earliest memories are of the foster care system, not of my biological family. But of course, my biological family has memories of raising me uh, for two years or so. Um, and so um, I have cousins and uncles that are my age and they're like, oh, you remember uh, you know, this and you remember that. And I'm like, no. <laughs> um, and, and so, uh, so, uh, throughout the years, uh, I, I didn't have a whole lot of contact with her. I had contact with her family, uh, her being institutionalized. Um, uh, there wasn't a lot of opportunity for contact, but I would go visit her parents, her sister, uh, which is my aunt and my grandparents, um, my cousins, um, and I got very close to her family, but not so close to her just because of her uh, mental state. Um, several years ago, uh, we guesstimates uh, about 10 years ago, uh, my grandfather passed away, her father. Um, and between that, between meeting her at 16 and, and uh, you know, in that 20 year time period there, um, I'd probably seen her five times approximately um uh when her father passed away um she was not at the funeral um the family didn't want her there because she's very disruptive with her uh behaviors um and they just wanted a nice service for my grandpa um but i felt somebody needed to go tell her that her dad had passed away so i took that responsibility on myself um, the situation I was presented with at the facility she was at was that she was not in a good place. Um, uh, she was not being treated properly, taken care of properly. Um, and now that her dad had passed away, um, I felt like I needed to do something about that. Um, so I hired an attorney um, and filed for guardianship of my biological mother. Um, so I am now the legal guardian of my biological mother that relinquished me at approximately two years old. Um, wow. I, moved, I moved her to a facility here in uh, the town that I live in and uh, so that I could visit her more frequently. And um, when I first moved her here, I visited at least once a week, uh, brought her, you know, candy and food and pop and, <laughs> and uh, all kinds of things to just make her life more happy and comfortable. Um, over the last several years, um, those visits and stuff have slowed down for personal reasons and, you know, just changes with COVID and, um, and just changes in the facility itself. They're not, they don't allow people on that side of the building anymore so she has to come out and visit on the other side because mm -hmm. it's a it's a nursing home where she's at and one side is for mental illness and one side's just for elderly people that need care um and uh, i used to be able to just walk back into the into the mental unit and uh um i can't do that anymore so it's it's more of an awkward visit and they have to bring her out to me and and, and all this and there's things that have happened with our interactions that's made me less comfortable visiting with her. Um, and so, um, whereas for a few years we had weekly visits and, um, and, and whatnot. Now it's, uh, once, twice a year or so. Um, I try to see her on her birthday. I try to see her on certain holidays. Um, yeah. but it, it's very limited, uh, contact at this point, but at least I know she's here and I know, I know a lot of people that work at the facility she's at, you know, they tell me how she's doing. I can call, get up. Yeah. They call me if she needs changes with her medication and stuff, because I'm still her legal guardian. Um, right. So I know what's going on in her life and I know she's okay. That sounds like a lot, <laughs> a lot <laughs> to deal with. Um, what about you, Donna? What's your story? Well, I had um, a very longing, confusing, non-relationship with my birth mom. So I've never met my birth mum. Obviously, we did meet for three, around three months, and we were very together in the womb, obviously. Um, my relationship with her sort of, I guess, spiritually was extremely strong. And um, the more that I've realised now around the primal wound, I'm having that validated as true, 
because my longing, the longing for my birth mother was incredible when I was younger and I used to run away so, so often um, to try and find her. And it became, as I got older, it just became more and more desperate. And I'm I'm a I'm a transracial adoptee. I'm I'm still trying to get my head around that because transracial sort of indicates to me you're sort of transported abroad in my head. I wasn't. I was adopted, um, but my parents that adopted me were both are both white. And it wasn't that. It wasn't that I was. It wasn't that I was trying, I was desperate for my blackness, although that was an issue as I got older. I was desperate for my birth mum. You know, she was white. She could have been purple. Mm -hmm. She could have been anything. It just, I was just connected to her. And um, it got, it it did got, it got so desperate. So I'll never forget that when I'm listening to um, other adoptees um, stories of reunion I feel really we have all this, we have this in common, this longing, this like right. wanting to belong. Yeah. And I definitely felt that so strong. Um, for me now, I do, even though my mother has passed and my, my birth mom passed when I was um, quite young, actually, when I was 12. And I do believe it's associated with my adoption. Mm-hmm. And I do believe it's associated with her trauma from the adoption. And that's all part and parcel of what I'm trying to unpack now as part of my own healing. But insofar as reunion, I do actually have quite a spiritual reunion occurring with my birth mum now because I'm I'm feeling her more. I'm I'm sort of, um, I think I, when I found out she was dead, I think I fell out with her. I think I blamed her. I think, you know, I stopped that that connection stopped and maybe it really did stop maybe it really was a connection on this physical plane that stopped when she died but there was something in me that I I couldn't allow myself to feel that again for my birth mother and to be shattered again with any kind of traumatic information like that and so I literally put her away and she was gone and even when I met my biological brother, who was two years, who's two years younger than me from my birth mom, I realize now that I have been, until recently, blocking those emotions around my birth mother because they are too deep. They were too deep. Whereas now I'm starting to find a spiritual reunion, which I'm actually feeling very grateful for when I listen to stories out from many adoptees about the issues, the layers of trauma inevitably because their birth mothers have got trauma too and no doubt my mother would have yeah she was in a very abusive relationship highly likely she committed suicide Mm. I can't imagine I would be having this fantasy reunion in my mind in reality if she was alive yeah but I I think I, I think that part of your journey is really awesome that you are still feeling her in a different way, because I think that'll give adoptees that are, that have found out that their biological parents are no longer on this earth too, that maybe how you're dealing with that and the journey you're having with that is, um, gives them a lot of hope. So I think that's great. Yeah. And the less I know, it's almost the better in a way, you know, no one really knew my birth mom, um, that well that I can talk to. And in some ways, as much as I want that, I can create this little fantasy and keep that to myself. That's my bubble and no one can, no one can get in there. It's that that's mine. And that's what keeps me feeling good and connected with my birth mom. So that's, that's where I'm at with, with the reunion with my birth mom. Okay. So now that we've kind of heard everybody's story and where they're at, how some of us have had reunions, some of us haven't yet possibly in the future and others that's just not a possibility. So um, thanks for sharing all that. So let's just dive right in. And I want to know how did the circumstances with your birth mother affect you and where are you in the relationship today? We kind of talked a little bit about that, but how did your relationship with her affect you as a child and even now? So we'll start with Amanda again. Hey there. Um, yeah. 
I think for me, like, I, I think I, I can resonate very well with what Donna was saying is that she had her uh, kind of like it just tucked away and just froze. I, I almost I almost equated just frozen. Like um, I told uh, I was talking to an adoptee friend once a little while back and I said, I feel like my uh uh, biological family like I feel like I've, I've just frozen it like if you picture a, a little child just like a it's kind of an imagery thing like an ice dragon just blowing ice all the way up so there's just this little speck of you here right and so I feel I feel like I'm just starting to thaw finally um, so I don't think I had a lot of pain in regards to it I just simply froze it like I really did I I threw it in a box and <laughs> said, I am not even going there. Yeah. Um, so is I, that something that you think will unthaw at some point and, and maybe you'll look at it and, and deal with it or. I think, I think so. I think slowly, like I, I, I have zero interest in having a catastrophic feeling, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, part of it's due to my three-year-old. I, I feel very protective about her and, mm. and, and not, uh, not I don't not that I would fall apart but I don't even want to risk it right, right. initially but I right. think that I think the fact that in my birthday this year this past October I there was that flicker of oh you know I wonder where I was at this moment like I know I, I mean so I don't even know the day I was you know I literally came <laughs> out so to speak but so like was I was I actually crying was I with her was I not like so it was just a brief flicker of a thought but like to me that says that I, I'm getting there right and and I'm also at peace if I never decide to go there right because it's our choice and our journey and and I guess I'm I, I'm choosing to be curious like I wonder how far I will allow myself to go and and to be kind to myself on those steps. Right. So Greg, with your story, you said you met your mother, was it 2007? Yes. So how old were you then? Uh, I would have been 38 at the time when I met her in person. So 37 when we first connected and 38 when I met her. So it's because you, you said that you hired some, a private detective to find her. So obviously you were really, really wanting, wanting that to, to yeah. find her. So did that affect you as a child growing up? Did you think about it all the time? I, I remember the day I became aware of being adopted. My parents had told me at age 10 when I asked them, but said they had actually told me a couple of years before that. And I don't have a recollection of that. I felt very different leading up to that, I think, but mainly after that, I was, I really experienced a lot of disconnect by early adulthood. I think I was wondering very specifically about, about my biological mother and my, my roots in general and didn't do anything with it until probably, yeah, my, my mid thirties really. And my best friend at the time, he was telling me, I can see that, that you need to do this, that you're really struggling under a lot of emotional burdens and the things we've talked about, it just mm -hmm. kind of precipitated in my life. And I wondered why I struggled with my, my vital relationships with my family, with my wife and kids, uh, why I didn't feel connected in my adoptive family. And so he was, he was saying, I, I really think you need to do this. And it was one of the catalysts for me doing that. Um, so clearly up to that point, it had been in my, my mind, but it really materialized as something I, I thought I really need to take action on this around age 35. And it still took a couple of years before I finally knew how to do it and got up the nerve to do it. So in what ways did you see that it affected your relationships? And did you realize at the time that it was coming from being adopted? I definitely did not realize that. It manifested in a lot of, a lot of depression and withdrawal from my family um, in, in, my, in my marriage. It showed as uh, a lot of isolation that I was undergoing and also reactive responses sometimes emotionally 
and not understanding where they came from. Not not big periods of fighting or anything, but but still like why why do I act this way? Why why do I sometimes respond in in an inordinate way emotionally when when conflict arises or when I feel frozen emotionally? So it it definitely showed up in terms of my ability to to manage my emotions. I had no idea that it might be related to that. I wasn't in therapy, and it was always presented to me as a, an occasion for self-mastery or improvement of myself, but never was anyone there to say, I think it comes from somewhere else. I just right. viewed it in myself as a character flaw and something I always had to work on. Yeah. I think we all had to come to that conclusion ourselves. <laughs> no doctors or therapists really ever ask if you were adopted. So it's kind no. of something that you have to draw your own conclusion with. What about you, Rick? How did being with your mother for a little bit, do you think that affected your childhood when you were taken away and put in foster care and you know you you were with so many different caregivers um, and then your reunion was with your mom you were a teenager right so that whole dynamic of finding out she was schizophrenic and, and you're a teenager and just that whole you know dynamic of that how did that all work yeah so I think the fact that um i I was raised with my mother. I think my, my grandmother did most of the caregiving in the first two years of my life, but my mother was around and there. And uh, I now have pictures of me with my mother, um, you know, and uh, at at that age. um, And, you know, uh, I have a baby book from that age with my first words. And, um, you know, so obviously I already had a family dynamic. I have no memories of that. Um, but obviously at the time I would have, um, you know, um, I believe even during the early parts of me being in foster homes, I believe my biological family still had visits with me. Um, and so, um, that relationship existed for at least two years, if not up to four years. Um, and, um, I'm still trying to get some of the details on that. I'm waiting on some paperwork from, from DCFS uh, on the whole reason why I was removed uh, from that home. I, I was taken by the state. The state got guardianship of me. I was placed into foster care. Um, the reasons behind that, I have some stories, but I, I have no idea what's true. Um, so uh, I've applied for that paperwork and currently in a, hurry up and wait process on that. Uh, So how have you seen kind of that, you know, tug of war between caregivers and back and forth with family? And how did you see that play out later in your life? So I, having had that relationship with my biological family, whether I remembered it or not, carried with me into my adopted family. I was adopted around five or six years old out of foster care, uh, about five and a half. Um, uh, but I had lived with them for a, a couple of years before that they were my last foster home. Um, and then they adopted me. Um, and, um, I just always remember having questions, um, which weren't getting answered. Um, and then, you know, just basically being told, you know, none of that really matters because we love you and, and, um, uh, but I just had a, a yearning. I think Donna talked about that, that yearning and that, that, you know, bond that she had with her mother spiritually and emotionally. And I always felt that, um, and, uh, that manifested into, uh, as a kid, I had, um, somewhat violent tendencies or I just lash out, you know, I just had, uh, not violent, like I'm, anger issues, I guess, or, you know, yeah. if, if I just got too stressed, I'd just, rah, you know, I have to mm-hmm. smash something or, you know, whatever. Um, and then um, in high school and in, in junior high and high school that, that it turned into more, I wouldn't say apathy. I, I just shut down a lot. Um, I, I didn't function well in school. I, I've always been um, pretty intelligent but I've just, I just wouldn't do my homework. I wouldn't, uh, I didn't care. I didn't, you know, I just mm-hmm. stopped caring 
Um, yeah. And that caused a lot of trouble at home. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> parents don't like it when you're not doing well in school. Um, and uh, uh, in in high school, um, fortunately, the, the high school guidance counselor also had adopted children. Um, and so when he was talking to me, it, I had no idea of that. But um, uh, And he was also friends with my adopted dad. Um, they had done some some work together with, you know, some high school youth retreats and stuff like that. Um, and so he had asked me, you know, why aren't you paying attention to class? What's your issues? What's going on? And I'm like, I, I'm always thinking about my mother. I, I don't I don't know why, you know, I'm like, but I, I want to know, is she alive? Where, you know, where is she? Who is she? You know. Um, and I don't feel like I can talk about those things with my parents. Um, so he um, basically arranged a, a meeting with my parents and explained, hey, it's probably a good thing for him to explore this. Um, with him being involved in that, opened up the door to them letting me search, and they did help me find my biological mother. Um, now, obviously, the circumstances of, of her mental illness and stuff, it wasn't it was relieving to know to find her I, you know I, I i had my mom i had that connection like i said i had a great relationship with all of her family um it was hard to have that relationship with her um but there was a sense of relief of now i know um and then um you know the, the whole process through the years of them becoming her her guardian and everything it just I've always wanted to connect with my mom. I've always felt a connection with my mom and it's just always been there. Right. So did you see that play out in your relationships later as an adult? I adoption has and relinquishments and all of that has definitely affected my relationships uh, as an adult. And, uh, you know, as Greg was saying, I had, I had no idea. I had no idea adoption had affected me in the way that it had. Um, I, I didn't know, um, why things hit me so heavy. If like a little problem in a relationship, you know, or why if a relationship got to a point, I just had to be done with it. Um, and you know, there was just so many things when I look back now and I was, like, I was, in my four, about 40, so a little older than, than Greg when he started his realizations um, of how much this really affected me um, and in and my relationships and my own, um, and, and to this day still does, you know, and, and the, the difference is now um, I kind of understand that there are certain triggers and that maybe the way I'm feeling about my relationship isn't really how my significant other is intending it. It's mm -hmm. just the issues that I'm dealing with that are, are, you know, still trying to process or just, it's just a trigger of that abandonment or it's a trigger. Um, and so those things come up almost want to say daily, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, and, but I, I've learned to recognize that. Um, and so I can modify my behavior a little bit and go, okay, maybe this is just me. I wouldn't say overreacting because I have every right to feel that way. And, and, and but maybe it's me um, uh, just, it, it's just, I, I can recognize that it's a trigger of a repressed emotion or a trigger of abandonment. And so I can choose not to act at that moment process what's really going on is this really that big of a deal is this person really leaving me because they're mad at me that i left bread on the counter you know like it, it's uh it, it i can calm down and, and process yeah that information before i you know um have a conversation with that person or before i you know choose right. some some type of fight or flight reaction to it. Yeah. I've noticed that too. Even with me, if I wait till the next day, I'm usually like, why was I so hyped? Why was everything so heightened? Like it really wasn't yeah. that big of a deal, you know, right. 12 hours later, I'm like, wow, I really reacted to that, you know? 
yeah, okay, this person was in a bad mood, and I took that as they Personal, don't want to be yeah. with me anymore. Right. <laughs> so what about you, Donna, in your relationship with your mom or non-relationship? You kind of have a relationship, but um, yeah, how right. did that affect you as a child? You found out at 12 or 13 that your mother passed yeah. so so prior to that um in my book in my chapter which was published last year which was before I came out of the fog um I called it I, I I used to daydream a lot because I did I used to daydream a lot but I used to disassociate a lot that's what I used to do and I now understand even more why I was and I'm not going to take away the daydreaming and, you know, but I now just understand really what was what was happening. It served me well to, to disassociate yeah. because I was able to dream about things in my head that took me away from the pain that I was obviously feeling outside. And that goes with my addictions as well, which was after finding out that my mum was dead. So the addictions became a means of me being able to cope but I didn't know, just like you were saying, uh, Rick and, and Greg, like, I didn't know. I didn't know until last year, till this year, that it was that. But I always knew there was something really quite seriously wrong. But I was so good at covering it up. And that's what I'm going through now, the untangling of all of that, the acknowledgement. After I found out that my birth mother was dead, I'll be honest, it just completely screwed me up. Like, you can't, I mean, and that's what I'm having, well, I haven't really quite doing this yet. I really do think I need a therapist. Um, But that actually really screwed me up. And if you think about it, it was my connection with my birth mother. And now I'm realizing that the magnitude of that, of course. Yeah. She was no longer there. That dreaming, that longing, that wanting, that running away, that screaming, that shouting in in a blink of an eye gone she's gone I'll never know anything I'll never know the answers and any answers I've got to wait five six years for them anyway because it was a closed adoption Mm -hmm. so I lost myself I guess I'd already been disassociating quite happily in my bedroom well this was a a, I'd been practicing for a real serious big disassociation from everything and that running away as soon as I could um, I, in school, I was disassociated. I did not take it in at school. I, I see myself as being quite an intelligent person, but it's not academic. It's purely life experience, mm-hmm. a spiritual, emotional experience and trainings that I've done. It is nothing at school because my head was not there at school. It wasn't I there before. For me, when I disassociate, because I'm good at that too, um, and I trick myself, <laughs> I'll trick myself all day long, but what yeah. happens to me is I start to feel it physically. I will start getting sick physically. And that's how I know. But before that, I'm just so disassociated that I just don't even realize. Do you yeah. ever have that physical? Not really. I mean, now it's it's a different level. of Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm just untangling it all of what actually sort of sort of happened. But the, the, the big the disassociation when I was younger was 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 good for me. I mean, I, I used because now I understand like the law of attraction and manifestation and that if you put stuff out there, you get it back. Well, through disassociation, I was dreaming about all sorts. And actually I did get my birth mom. Okay. It wasn't what I wanted, but I did find out she was dead. And I found out when I was 12, horrific. But at the same time, I got the truth. I put it out there and I got, I got it. You know, I didn't get it sugar-coated with lies. And actually, that would have been far worse in a way in the long run. Sure. But I had to deal with that pain early on. So by the time I was 21, I'd actually met my now husband. So I'd come through a lot in a very short space of time. But my husband is traumatized from this. Yeah. You know, this, this, trauma, this relationship, keeping a relationship. I, you know, we we have to be, I know now, listening to so many adoptees, I have to really put my family first and, and, and me and my family first now. Um, yeah. So my birth mother is wrapped up in all of this root foundation trauma for me that I'm now 
understanding for the first time in my in my in my life and untangling hopefully and releasing hopefully so I want to talk about expectations now because I know I had a lot of well I don't think I don't know if I had expectations I know my birth mother had a lot of expectations about me um so did you have any expectations of your birth mother if you did meet her um, did you, did she have expectations of you and how did that affect your relationship? Um, Amanda, I know you don't know your birth mother, but do you have expectations you think? I, I don't think so. Um, and I think that comes from just slowly thawing out. Right. Uh, I don't really have expectations right now. I think, I think in a lot of things I have expectations because it's healthy and natural and normal, right? Um, I can't be somebody who doesn't have any, but but I think just because it's been tucked away so far so long that uh, right now I, d- I don't really have any. It's more like um, it's more like uh, like have you ever been through fog? I, I know fog, right? How appropriate, but like a really fog you can barely see something out of it so you're not really thinking I wonder what that is because it looks far enough away it's not it's not a thread it's nothing you're going to engage with right away and I kind of feel like that's where she is right now and so so I think the closer I get to engaging with the thought of her maybe that's when the expectations will come Mm. but right now I don't really think so. I mean, obviously, if I got a text or like somehow that that object in the fog got right up to me, yeah, then then it would be a whirlwind of expectations and curiosities. And do you ever think about that happening? Like one day the phone's going to ring and somebody's going to be a biological relative's going to be on there. Not really, you know. I mean, it's it's. It really is, like I said, it really is quite tucked away. Um, I can kind of see it now, and I'm like, uh, okay, I'm not going to force you back in the corner, but I'm not going to encourage a swift, a swift arrival of that either. So, right, right. You know, very interesting. It's I'm getting more curious about it, so I feel like that's a good sign. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, Greg, it sounds like maybe your mom did have some expectations. Yeah, um, we both did. And I think one of my expectations was because I, I didn't know any adoptees when I met her was when you meet, I didn't even know reunion was a thing, but I had a sense that everybody in the world would think this was heartwarming for somebody to come back and find their mother. And it was always going to be that way. And I started fantasizing about it. I would move and go live, go live by her and all these things, or I'd see her a hundred times in our lifetimes. And so I, I had those kind of fantasies and expectations of, of being very open with each other. And I realized eventually I, I wasn't as open with her as she was expecting me to be. Mm-hmm. So, and when she actually came and stayed with us once, she had a lot of expectations about the reception she would receive from my wife and my, my kids and the kind of interest they would have. And it didn't, it didn't meet her expectations. And it was very upsetting for her that, um, to, to know that it, it was difficult for them in a lot of ways, right. but they were trying. Yeah. And I think over time, the expectations I had kind of, kind of wore off. I, I, they moved out of that, like I said, that Hallmark movie phase and fantasizing thing to settling into this cordiality or cordialness of, of the interactions. And then then they stopped being deep. And I think we were both dissatisfied with that. Then it, then they and they kept blowing up every every few years. And then eventually now they, they're kind of at an end. And I, I no longer have... I, I'm not sure I, anyway that I have any at this point for yeah. what might might happen in the future with her, but yeah. I definitely did. And, and she did as well. Yeah. I, listening to you now, I'm thinking, eh, I guess I did have some expectations. <laughs> I think like you, I just thought, oh, this is going to be great. Like, you know, oh, yeah. I and I had the same reception. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had the same reception. It was like, how come she's not, she seems closed off. And I didn't feel like I was, but. 
she felt like I was. So yeah, I guess I did have some expectations on how it was going to go some daydreams myself. Yeah. So what about you, Rick? Any expectations? Of course you met your mom kind of early, so I don't know. And you, you know, yeah. Um, I think, uh, you know, I, I didn't know what to expect. Uh, you know, I think we all kind of idealize or fantasize, you know, uh, what that reunion would look like. Um, of course I did not expect my mother to be mentally ill. Um, you know, so, um, I expected to reunite a bond, you know, and I think due to her mental illness Mm -hmm. that didn't happen. And fortunately it did get to happen with other members of her family. Um, but with her specifically that didn't happen. And that's what I was always longing for or searching for. Um, and, uh, and so when that didn't happen, it was, it was a shock to me, you know, and as you mentioned earlier, I was a teenager, you know, and so things are already weird as a teenager. Um, and now, um, here I'm meeting this person that I thought was, you know, gonna miss me and, and, you know, and, and be so happy that I'm back in her life. Um, and as I said, her family was, I couldn't have asked for a better reunion, uh, with them. Um, uh, my grandparents were awesome. My aunt was awesome. My, my uncles are cool. Um, my cousins, uh, I've had great relationships with, um, so, uh, all in all, I think the reunion itself met my expectations, but specifically with the relationship with my mother, um, it didn't, I think my mother's expectation was that she would never see me again. Um, as she, you know, expressed, um, you know, and, um, I think when I moved her here to Kiwani, I kind of expected our relationship to grow in a more positive direction since, you know, we only had a handful of interactions over the first 20, uh, 20 years of our reunion kind of expect these next 10 to just be like, yeah, you're schizophrenic, but we're buddies and, you know, we're hanging out and, and, uh, that did not definitely did not occur. I think I, I I think I forced that a little bit in the beginning. Um, and you know, and she would call me a lot in the beginning, uh, cause she has access to a, a phone there at the facility. And usually it was cause she wanted something or, you know, like, Hey, bring me money or bring me tea or bring me this or, you know, or, uh, whatever, um, bring me cigarettes or, you know, whatever. Um, or just to complain that somebody was, you know, she was mad at somebody else at the nursing home or, you know, whatever, but I'm sure uh, juggling between having compassion for her schizophrenia and, and that, but also having boundaries with that was yeah. very difficult. Yes. Yes, it was. Um, yeah. And yeah. And I definitely think, and I think this is another question that's that you're going to ask. So I'll just, I'll just wait for that. But you, you brought up compassion and I think, uh, um, meeting her has definitely opened up my heart and my mind more to mentally ill people. Um, you know, I, I definitely don't think that's something I would have ever thought of or cared to explore, you know, um, but I definitely kind of have a soft spot for people that, that, uh, are mentally ill and, you know, want to make sure that they, they are able to live the best life that they can, because it's, it's not, it's not a fun existence in and of itself. Right. Um, you know, so I definitely think that that helped change me and, and my heart in that way. But I said, I think that's another question. So, <laughs> so Donna, you had a lot of daydreams about your mom. Would you consider those expectations or, and then what? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I always, I always imagined my birth mom to have blonde hair. Um, I don't know whether that's because maybe I wanted to be white with blonde hair. Um, it could be, but I used to imagine her definitely the opposite to actually what she was. And the expectations were just completely blown because, um, the, the photo that I actually saw of my birth mother was when I was told she was missing. And it was one of those awful grayed out pictures that you get. And she looked like a convict. It, it was, it was like the most shattering fantasy uh, you know when you're dreaming of getting a picture so um so yeah my I did I used to I used to I used to um have expectations because I grew up in a foster home 
Um, my parents adopted me, but they fostered all these children. So all these children would see, a lot of them would see their mum, you know, coming on in. So they were, you know, and, I, and but no one ever came for me and I never knew what who it would be even if they did. Yeah. So, yeah, I did have that that whole um, expectation of what she looked like and that was shattered, which was sad. Yeah. So for Donna and Amanda, what are your feelings about, I mean, how do you reconcile, we talked about it a little bit, but how do you reconcile not, Donna, you're never going to meet your mother in person and Amanda, you may never meet your mother in person. So I think Amanda, you said you just kind of, it's in, it's in an ice cube right now. <laughs> yeah, it's just frozen. Quite literally. <laughs> um, you know, I think, I think it would be much harder if I didn't have a family of my own. Mm. Um, but I think the fact that I feel so protective of my family, of my daughter, uh, my husband, you know, I just like, that is like priority number one for me. And so Anything else is just icing on the cake. I feel like I've made peace. I mean, maybe I've made peace because it is frozen, right? I mean, I feel like I've made peace as much as I can that, you know, I may never meet her. And and in, and in reality, she's just a stranger that I share the same DNA with right now. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, she's not, I mean, I'll always be thankful that she didn't abort me, you know, because for some reason... I was given away, whether it was I was a unwanted or or whatever the reason, circumstance. I don't I don't know what it is. I'll always be forever grateful that she carried me to term, and that I was given life. Um, and so it sounds like you're okay either way. Yeah, I think so, right? And I think that's part of it because I haven't really laid on too many expectations. Mm-hmm. I haven't, and I haven't like because to me it's like I'm I, I tend to be a very pragmatic person, so what good with me not what good would me not being okay with it do me right now right nothing right I can't change it right now it's at a position where I don't know and and in part because they're not coming for me and in part I'm not coming for them right now right so I think I I, I'm just at peace with my decision I think that makes for me that makes all the difference definitely what about you Donna I'm at peace. I'm at peace. I'm feeling more and more at peace. Like both my birth parents have passed, uh, and I'm feeling more and more at peace with my with my birth mother. Um, the loss and the grief that I felt over the last few months have have come about because of the understanding and the compassion and the validation that's come about that this is this was real, you know, these feelings I had when I was 13, 14 and went off the rails were absolutely understandable and made perfect sense. So now, um, and thanks to another adoptee who blew up the photo and made made it so I could actually see my birth mother's eyes and her earrings and such a beautiful detail. And she's holding me. And it completely squashes the whole, oh, your mom couldn't cope or whatever. She looks very capable. Yeah. And loving with me. Mm. So now I am um, keeping the fantasy in my mind around all the facts and this, that and whatever, because what is that? What, you know, what, what good is that going to do if it's, if it's painful stuff? Is enough going on? I can hold that fantasy in my mind and, and see this photo and, um, and, and really start to have a good, good, good feeling in my heart and in myself around myself and my birth mom and I think that's going to really help me with my healing yeah through this fog you know if it's and that's that's what this is about because I can't heal I can and I have been I can't really truly help others until I've helped myself and it's becoming more and more apparent that it's adoptees that I'm here for Mm. so I've got to get this sorted you know this isn't this is some of some of some adoptees are like no they're they're in it and they're in it and I think some are wallowing in it in some ways and I don't mean that in a horrible way but you know it there is a there is a way that we can switch our mindset and I'm just struggling with getting my brain to do that and I'm realizing why my brain struggles I was doing an interview with somebody yesterday and I said, how, or do you even think, does anyone jump in on this one? Do you think we ever totally heal from the primal wound or is it a journey that we are on our entire lives? 
Well, this guy, this guy, and sorry to interrupt. I, I, I may have to go soon, actually, Melissa. I think I have to tell you. Yeah. This guy that I'm now looking at, who's the brain um, trauma, trauma, the brain and recovery. He's not an adoptee, but he's helping me sort of believe that there are ways that we can rewire these neuro networks that were damaged as far back as in the womb. And he's talking that kind of language. And I'm like, you know what? And there's a lot of imagination and playing around with this work as well. And I think, you know, you've got to be willing to do that. And I think adoptees are willing to do anything, right, to do this work. So I'm feeling more and more, especially after today, that actually, yeah, I think there is a way. And and if there is, I'm going to find it. I'm going to sort myself out. And then I'll be there for everyone else. (laughs) That's awesome. That's awesome. So last question real quick. Um, what are your thoughts on reunion counseling? Greg, you might want to weigh in on this because I feel like it's greatly needed. Yeah. What do you I, think? I went, I went right into it. Like within a handful of days of getting my information, I was advised not to, and I, I did it anyway. Um, I understand there's an impulsive feeling, I think, around excitement when you find things out and want to move forward with it. It helps a lot to have, I'm sure, somebody that I to talk to before you enter into it. Someone in the community. I had nobody. I don't know if there were any resources in print for it at the time. I doubt it for how to do it. And I know it's so individualized, the circumstances around everyone's relinquishment, around the temperament of the, of the biological parents and family and your own. I feel like... No matter how much prep you do for it, you you will be unprepared for it. Yeah. Good to have a variety of perspectives on it, but I think you'll have to eventually to realize it'll be a a leap of faith or a but risk. even to be told that, I think, you know, that there's gonna be twists and turns that you're not expecting. And yeah, that, you know, that's something people I think would benefit from knowing. I think that, everybody just thinks it's gonna be this great honeymoon for, you know. It's great reunion. And then all these things get thrown at you that you weren't expecting. I certainly wouldn't want to discourage anybody from, from doing it who wants to do that. And I don't want to bring them down and say, but this and this, but I, I would like them to know that there are, there are grie- griefs associated with it and, and perils, unfortunately, for everybody involved. And it, it's just right. not very clean. Yeah. Right. And I, I want to second that with what Greg said. It's, you know, and just listening to all of our stories, you can see, how diverse the community is, you know, the people that have been in reunion, we all have different stories. There's so many similarities between them as far as emotions and, and this, that, and the other thing. But if, um, if I had the opportunity to go back and say, yeah, I, I have counseling along with uh, the reunion, that would have been so beneficial like I said, I'm 16 and dealing with a schizophrenic mother. I, I don't know how to process that. Um, and, you know, um, a lot of adoptees that do go into reunion deal with secondary rejection and they don't know how to deal with that. And, you know, it's especially when you've idealized it and you think it's going to be, you know, the camera crews are coming out and you're going to be on Maury Povich and, you know, whatever. Uh, and it, it doesn't it's not, it's not that happy story. Um, so I definitely think counseling, um, is a very good idea. Um, and to go back to the, to the question you asked, if we, if you think we can ever truly heal, you know, all these wounds and I'll just say ever truly heal the primal wound. I liked what Donna was talking about. Um, even before I realized a lot of my issues were, were, due to adoption, I've always been very into self-help stuff. I I knew I didn't get what I needed necessarily from my adopted parents, socially and emotionally, um, you know, and so I've always just kind of taken on um, my own mental well-being myself. I wasn't never in counseling. I was never, you know, so it's it's always been self-help and I've read books and listened to audio tapes and, and all of this and, you know, and, and I, I do believe, like she was saying, you can change your neural pathways. Um, And I do believe those neural pathways have been affected by the trauma that we've had 
since early childhood. Um, mm-hmm. And so I do believe and have faith that, yeah, we can actually heal and actually be a whole best person we can be um, if we take action and, um, and try to do the work that's necessary to overcome those traumas. Um, and, you know, uh, I, I think it's a field and, and I've always been very interested in mental illness since, you know, I found out that my mother was mentally ill. The brain's a very interesting thing. And, you know, I, I even look at my mother's severe case of, 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 um, paranoid schizophrenia. And I think there is a chemical or there is a treatment or there is, uh, you know, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if it's, you know, uh, cells that they can put in her brain. I don't know what that treatment is, but I, I do believe that we all can heal and, and, and we all can overcome those things. I definitely think it's a process. <laughs> I definitely don't think it's something you can do overnight. It probably involves, you know, and it's probably different for every person. It could be medication for one. It could be counseling for another. It could be a combination uh, of all the above. But I I, I do think that, uh, I do think it's possible. I hold hope, uh, I guess, that that it's possible. Right. Well, thank you all for taking the time to come here today and be open with your stories. It was a great conversation, and I hope that it's going to help many adoptees that are on their journey So in closing, our goal for Constellation Conversation right now is to get others in the Constellation to come on and discuss different topics and views. So stay tuned for that. And we're hoping to have this platform conversation about once a month. So sure, make sure you watch out for the next episode. So that's it for today's discussion. Um, As always, if you feel you are struggling and need a therapist, please do not hesitate to reach out to one. We are here for you and together we rise and we'll see you guys next time. So there you have it. The very first episode of Constellation Conversations. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something out of everyone's story is just so different. So I'm hoping that you were able to connect with one of the people that were on the panel and telling their stories. You know, I'm super passionate about educating the world with our stories. So if you enjoyed today's episode, please share it and like and share and subscribe to Mind Your Own Karma. That way we can get the word out. If you are interested in telling your story on Mind Your Own Karma, please contact me at gmail.com. Let's get your story on the podcast. Next week on the podcast will be part one of two of an interview that I had with a birth mother. You are going to really enjoy this interview, so don't miss it. As always, take what you need and leave what you don't. And always remember to mind your own karma. I'll see you next time. Gosh, Tomlin, are you serious? Mm. This is what I put up with, guys.